Okay, you can be opening up your Bibles to um, Galatians chapter 6. We'll be continuing our study in there today. And uh, we're going to have about, uh, let's see, counting today, that'll be three more lessons. We'll, so in February and then uh, the end of the quarter, we'll have a Sunday there that I, after we finish Galatians. And I, I think what we'll do is we'll talk, we're going to talk about the Sabbath day on that day. So that'll be the last Sunday in February, God willing. And uh, we're going to look at that and say, do we, sell, do we serve, uh, do we serve uh, what am I trying to say? Do we honor that commandment, right? Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Do we meet on the Sabbath day? Is the Sabbath day a different day? Should we be meeting on Saturday as opposed to Sunday? We're going to look at some of those things, and I think that'll be a good study. There'll probably be one Sunday, might roll over into two Sundays, just depending on how it goes. And then the next quarter, we're going to begin a study of prayer, okay? And I think that'll be a good study. We've We've had a study on prayer before. It's probably been about eh, five years or so. So some of you may have been in that study before, but we'll have a lot of new folks, and I hope you'll be uh, interested in that, and uh, we'll continue to um, be part of this class and uh, during the quarter, which will start, I guess, the first Sunday in March. So uh, I think that'll be a good study. But continuing with Galatians, we're looking in, in, verse, in chapter 6 here, and, you know, we recall that the... The fruit of the Spirit, which we've been talking about a lot lately, and remember how that occurred, right? Paul was talking to the churches of Galatia, of course, to remind you he's having to deal with folks coming in after he helped establish those congregations, right? They're coming in and saying, well, you still got to be circumcised, right? Even though you're a Christian, even though you have this liberty in Christ that Paul talked about, you still got to be circumcised. You still got to follow the law. You got to keep the law. The law of Moses is still in effect. And Paul's having to deal with that, right? The Judaizing teachers come in and say, you still got to keep all these laws and traditions of the Jews, even though you have this liberty in Christ. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not what it's about, guys. That's not what we're talking about here. You have a freedom in Christ Jesus to live like God designed it, to live in love with him, right? In love with the Father, in love with the Son, and in love with each other. A spiritual love that surpasses all understanding. And you receive certain things from that, right? He talked about those fruits of the Spirit. A couple of those things he said were, you have love and kindness. Those things are simply going to be fruits of your walk in the Spirit. When you're a Christian, when you give yourself over to God, to Christ, you are now living in the Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit daily. You're putting away the works of the flesh, which he described right there in chapter 5. And then he contrasts those works of the flesh with the fruit of the of the Spirit and the things that should be coming and occurring in your lives because of your walk with the Spirit. Loving kindness, goodness, and gentleness. We're not harsh with each other. And we had a good long study, three weeks on those fruits of the Spirit, right? Those graces that we receive. And then last week we got into the first part of chapter 6 there and we saw how these graces lead to certain things, right? Lead or enable us to do things in our lives because of that love that we have for God and that love we have for each other. In other words, to restore those overtaken in a fault, right? We talked about God, how Paul says, restore, the one, restore those who are in need of it with gentleness, with kindness, with love. Not lording it over them, not uh, being hypocritical about it, being careful lest you fall in the same trap, right? Because you're still in the flesh. You can be tempted too, right? The point being that we are to love our brethren so much so that when we see they're living or doing something that's not 
according to Scripture, that we know is wrong, we need to talk to them about it. Why? Because we have a concern for their soul. The world doesn't understand that, right? The world says, that's hatred. Who are you to tell somebody how to live? And it's not about telling someone how to live. It's going to them and saying, I am concerned because you're going to miss out on that great joy, that great reward that we're all looking forward to, that hope that we have through our freedom in Christ Jesus. And so that's a good point he makes, right? That you need, to, you need to take care of it. You need to be looking to your brother. Yeah, careful with yourself that you're not doing the same things, but also out of love and gentleness, going to a brother or sister and saying, hey, you got to be thinking about what you're doing. If you don't do something about it, you might lose that inheritance of the kingdom. Come on down here. You going in here? Okay. All right, Joe. Oh, you can't hear up there? Okay, I'll, get a little, I'll try to get a little louder. Thanks. Good job, Joe. All right. Can you hear now? All right, good deal. All right. So, uh, Brother Joel, we love our Brother Joel. All right. So, point being, uh, we're also to do so, as I mentioned, with the spirit of gladness. Paul uh, it reiterates that, right? He says, you go to your brother, you, you know, rebuke, uh, help them if they're overtaken in some fault. But do it with a spirit of gladness, gentleness, kindness, love. Bearing one another's burdens. Fulfilling the law of Christ is what he said. Bearing burdens, meaning if someone has a need, we are to be there for them, right? And part of that is you see someone who's living at fault. You need to go with them. Maybe you need to help them get out of that problem they're struggling with or struggling with. Maybe Maybe there's one, you know, one of those things where you privately need to be one of those prayer partners or one of those, I don't know, uh, accountability partners you might hear about. There's stuff like that can help a lot of folks. Sometimes it's hard for one person by themselves to get out of something they're struggling with. And we are to bear each other's burdens. We are to help each other, not only on spiritual issues, but physical issues. And we're going to get into that a little more today. Bearing burdens of others extends beyond meeting their spiritual needs which is what we mostly talked about last week, Paul, in those first five verses of chapter 6. We're going to continue in Galatians 6 today, and we're going to find out that bearing each other's burdens also includes addressing physical needs. Let's begin here in verse 6, Galatians 6 and verse 6. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. All right. Interesting statements that Paul makes here, especially there in verse 6. What exactly is he talking about when he says that him who was taught the word share in all good things with him who he teaches? He's speaking to those in Galatia, right, who have been taught the word, mostly Gentiles, right? For the most part, Gentiles. They had no understanding. They might have known a little bit about the Mosaic law, but they didn't have what the Jews had, right? They didn't have that historical background, that teaching growing up, you know, in, in, in the Jewish schools, understanding the law. They had to be taught by Paul and others. 
And he's saying here, share in them, share with them, share uh, in all good things with him who teaches. And obviously, first and foremost, well, this is going to be financial support, right? He's basically saying to them, you need to help those who teach you. They're doing a great work. They are teaching you the good news of the gospel. You need to share in that. How do, they, how do we know that? How do we understand that? He's saying those who teach and preach can be supported, supported for their work. Look over at Luke chapter 7. Let's see something that the Lord said about that. In chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> and he says in verse 7, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. This is when he sent out the 70, right? And he's saying, you know, go from house to house. You should receive wages for what you're doing. You should be supported financially. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's read what Paul says there. Beginning in verse 3. Chapter 9, verse 3, he says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And by the way, Peter was married. Just, just saying. You know, he was supposed to be the first pope. I'm just, that's another whole study, but whatever. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from rate working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about, or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? What's Paul saying there? We should be able to be paid for what we're doing. You know, you don't muzzle the ox when he's stretching the floor, right? When he's working, you don't shut him down. You provide. Provide for them financially, okay? Makes sense, right? It was also practiced by other churches. Turn over to chapter 11 there in, in 2 Corinthians. Let's see what's said there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we'll say in verse uh, 7. He says, Did I commit sin and humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. Paul's saying, I had financial support from other congregations so I could preach the good news to you. Interesting. There's a kind of a missionary thing going on here, isn't there? Going out to other places. Turn over to 3 John. Let's see what John had to say about financial support or helping those who are preaching the gospel. <clears throat> 3 John, verse 5. 
Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. John's saying the Gentiles receive work, support. We should too. We should receive support for what we're doing. So we have some examples here of commandments, perhaps examples where we're taught that we need to support those who go out and teach, okay? And that's something that we do here, right? We have, I think it's, it's at four or five ministers now, and we support them. Your contributions to this congregation help them eat, help them have a roof over their heads, help them have clothing on their bodies because they do a good work. They're following in the same footsteps of John, Paul, Peter, the apostles, spreading that good news, working with you, helping you to understand the word, helping you to help divide that word into you that you can grow spiritually, grow in your dealings with each other, bearing each other's burdens, right? So they are supported financially. And dare say, I say, they're supported well. I will say that, right? But that's scriptural. You see, we have examples of that financial support, right? We should not hesitate to support those who are worthy. A couple more things I want to show on talking about those who are far and near. Turn over to Philippians, and let's see what Paul wrote here. Philippians chapter, um, chapter 4 first. <clears throat> Chapter 4 and verse 14. He says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you, you sent aid once and again from my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all in abound. I am full having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling sweet aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Turn back to chapter 1, same book. And let's read chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who also beginning and work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. This is right for me to thank of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He's thanking them because they have supported him in his journeys, in his work. And he's in prison writing and saying, you are partakers in this great work that I am doing. And thank you for that support. So, we have examples here of supporting those who teach, uh, whether they are individuals in our congregation or whether there are folks out in the world 
preaching the gospel that we help financially. We ought to do it. And we, if, all you got to do is look at our financial reports. They're open for everyone. You can see all the missionaries that we provide for. We send funds to. You can see the local congregations, the domestic works that we help. It's abundant. We are blessed so well here. We have such an abundance of support that we can send out, right? And we do that, we try to do that uh, wonderfully. I think our budget, Bob, correct me wrong, it's a quarter of our budget goes to missions, right? Is that right? About a quarter, about 25%. And I think that's good. It would do well to go be even more, I think, if we could, but it does. And we, if you look at that financial support, you can see how we do that. Now, I'm bragging a little bit on this congregation. I know that. But that doesn't mean you don't have to be a part of that, right? It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be continuing in your support. And it doesn't have to be just here on Sunday. Yes, we're coming in, and we'll get into that in a minute. But there may be things that you need to do as well. Maybe something that the congregation don't even know about. That's, first and foremost, how we bear each other's burdens physically, right? Well, what else is Paul talking about? He says to share in the spiritual blessings. And this could be another understanding of that verse in chapter 6 there, chapter verse 6. He says, those who preach share spiritual blessings, just as those from Jerusalem had spiritual things with the Gentiles. Turn over to Romans chapter 15. Let's see something Paul said there. <clears throat> chapter 15, and let's just begin there in um, verse 22. He says, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you in my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. Now I'm going to, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it has pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to take a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Interesting point. He's saying, if you receive spiritual blessings because of their preaching, because of their sending us out to teach you the gospel, then you should participate and help them in material things. Interesting point. We've received that great hope, right? We have a hope, and when we share that with others, we should be helped because of it. And they, as he's saying here, the Gentiles were overjoyed to be helping the poor in Jerusalem, those who are in need, because they had received the good news that those in Jerusalem had participated in in sending them out. Interesting concept. He also talks about sharing blessings in Corinthians. We read that in verse, uh, chapter 9 there, actually, about verse 11. And we should make sure we share in those blessings. How? Well, by participation in the gospel. Turn over back. We're back in 1 Corinthians there. Um, I got out of there. I shouldn't have got out of there. Let's see. In chapter 15. <clears throat> Go back to uh, verse 1 of chapter 15 there. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in the lane. For I delivered to you, 
First of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for your sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained at the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and by the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as, as by one born out of due time. He's saying they participated in that gospel that he and the apostles delivered to them, which was delivered to them through Christ Jesus, who they saw, right? They are to participate in that by application of the truths and the principles that Christ Jesus delivered to the apostles. James 1 talks about this. If we can read about this in 1 Peter. We are certainly... First and foremost, to participate financially, but we are also to share in the blessings that we receive, that they receive. Share in that gospel. That might mean you got to get out and do a little bit of work, not just the financial part, but you might need to share the word a little bit. You might need to work, as he's talking about, they shared with the apostles. Interesting concept, right? Well, it doesn't matter so much whether Paul meant supporting preachers financially or participating in what they taught, both are true, right? We need to be doing both in our lives, right? We need to be participating. We don't go around and, and beg you to give here. We believe that you are to give out of the goodness of your heart, how you have prospered. It's something that's personal between you and God. But if you're not doing that, if you're not helping financially, and we understand, of course, everybody understands, you may be struggling financially, and we, and we certainly know that. But that, first and foremost, should be something on your mind, right? That should be the first thing. It's not giving out of all the stuff that you have. It's giving the first fruits, right? You see, that's very scriptural to say, I should be giving back to God, first and foremost, of what he has given to me. When you have the concept, when you understand that everything you have is from God, yeah, you work for it, yeah, you earned it. I worked 80 hours last week. That's my money. I earned that money. Well, I could say, who got you the job? Or who got you that education? Or how come you were born in America? It's often... I don't know, a few years ago, I was watching something that they were asking. I think it was Warren Buffett or somebody. Maybe it was Bill Gates. I don't know, on something. And they were saying, what is the secret to being wealthy? And it wasn't about, they, both of them, they were, they were, I think they were together. It wasn't uh, save your money or, or work hard. They said, well, it's pretty much up to where you were born. And I thought, What? You know, all you ever hear is financial guys, you know, work hard, save your money, start, you know, be smart about it. They just said, well, pretty much where you're born. And then they went on to explain how the advantages that you have from where you're born, especially in America, especially in this nation, far outweigh what people have in other parts of the world. And I can kind of vouch for that a little bit. I, if you've ever been on a mission trip, which I have, Went to Nicaragua a few years ago. That country is poor as all get out. I think 
they live on like a dollar a day, most people there. What we would say is a dollar a day. That may be higher now, those few years ago. But I remember going to a small town. We went to a small town there. <coughs> went around knocking doors. Pretty much all the houses in that area had dirt floors. The walls were, they had cinder block walls on their houses. But their power was a, a extension cord coming in from the wires that ran all over the city above your head. When you're walking, you see wires everywhere. There was no grid. You know, it was just stuff willy-nilly. Nobody had cars. There were a few maybe that had cars, but you didn't see much of that. It was mostly people walking and riding bicycles to get around. Something I, I had never seen. I'm from America, right? I got a good, man, for what they had. Now, that's not to say someone grew up in Nicaragua couldn't rise out of poverty or rise out of that thing and, and better themselves. Of course they can. That's where the hard work comes in. That's where the being smart about things comes in. But those people don't have the same advantages that I had simply because they were born in a different place. Interesting concept, right? Why am I telling you this? <coughs> well, I want you to understand that financially and physically we can do things whether we think we can or not. Right? We can. And that should be first and foremost on your mind. And I'll say this. Scripture very much says that you're going to reap what you sow. Right? In fact, we just read a few verses about that. We're not going to get into that today. That's going to be another study in a week or two. But you're going to reap what you sow. And when you give bountifully from the goodness of your heart, I guarantee you, you're going to see some things happen. You may not realize, oh, but things are going to change a little bit. I can remember a time in my life when I kind of gave after I'd paid the bills. I kind of gave after I took care of everything else. And at some point I said, I got to change that. I need to give first before anything else, right? And I can't say anything specific, but things in my life changed a little bit after that. I know it has. I have been blessed tremendously. Is it because of my mindset on that? Well, maybe. Maybe I just grew a little more spiritually. Maybe it was something that through my walk, I realized I was not doing properly and I had to change. And maybe that was just part of that growth. I don't know. But I know the concept is there that you're going to reap what you sow. And if you're not sowing, and that doesn't necessarily mean giving financially, because I know some of you, that's a struggle. Yeah, I understand that. But you can still give through the spiritual blessing. Just saying, right? What else is he talking about here? I said we read those other verses. I'm going to skip to verse 10 here, where he says something else. He says, do good to all men. We have a duty as children of God to do good to all. Of course, we've been talking about those who teach, who we need to help. We need to do good to them. We need to help financially. But we have many who are in need, right? We've been talking about that all through this chapter. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and let's see something that Paul wrote to Timothy here.
First Timothy chapter six. Verse uh, 17. He says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He's telling those who've been blessed need to give. You've heard the old phrase, to whom much is given. How do you finish that? Much is expected. That's kind of what he's saying here, isn't it? Tell those who are rich and have been blessed to give abundantly. Turn over to Luke chapter 6. Verse 27, Luke 6, 27, he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do them likewise. There's that golden rule thing, right? But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Wow, we're supposed to love our enemies. What? How am I supposed to love my enemies? I don't like people. I hope they all like me. But you got people that you just don't like to be around, right? And if they come near you, you might say, hey, how's it going? And then you kind of walk on, right? Because you don't want to be around them. You know you're going to be troubled. Do you have something, Lee? Oh, okay. But he's saying love your enemies. Now, I know that doesn't mean you can't love somebody even though you may not like them very much. In fact, we got brothers and sisters and kids like that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. You like some kids better than others, don't you? You like some brothers and sisters better than others. Yeah, of course you do. Everybody has a personality. We get along some better than we do others. It doesn't mean you don't love them. And that's what he's saying here. Love your enemies. Yeah, if you do good for those you love, well, so what? The, the evil ones do that. Do good to all men, not just your buddies, not just your family members, not just your spouse. When? As we have the opportunity. It's also going back to the uh, commandment that we discussed in chapter 
Yes, absolutely. Louis says, you, that's just like the verse, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely. First commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Second is same as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do good to all men. When? As we have the opportunity. We have opportunities pretty much every day, right, to do good. We may not even realize it. But maybe what he's saying here is, you may need to be more aware of it. Maybe when you're doing your daily walk, you need to pay attention to someone who might be in need standing right in front of you. Yeah, we're busy. We don't think about those things, right? But we have opportunities all the time. We have opportunities presented to us through our circumstances, through our abilities, and they may be unforeseen. For instance, the Good Samaritan. Turn over to Luke chapter 10 there. Let's see something that was said about in that parable there. Luke chapter 10, if you're, if you're already there, move to verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now think about that verse for a second. The Samaritan didn't know he was going to meet someone on the road there. Someone who'd been beaten and robbed. But he just came upon him. What's the scripture say? About the parables say? He had compassion for him. He had a love for this person. Didn't know him from Adam. But he knew something needed to be done. That person needed help. And he happened to be upon him. And he had compassion. That's kind of what we're saying here. Do good to all men. Yeah, you don't know what's going to arise tomorrow. You don't know what opportunities you're going to have. Be ready for them. As Christians, do good to all men. What does it profit us to have all this wealth and material blessings if we don't use it to serve others? The opportunity can also be sought out. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, I'm not going to go read it. Titus 3 and Hebrews 13 talk about being willing to go and help those who are in need. Looking for opportunities. Not just coming upon some like the Good Samaritan did, but being watchful. Paying attention. Knowing when something needs to be done. We have a long prayer list here. Every week, there's a lot of folks on our prayer list. What's to stop you from just giving them a call? Going and visit. It doesn't have to be the elders that do it. Anybody can do it. That's part of that doing good to all men. And he does mention, not just other men, but he says especially the household of faith. Especially the brethren. We have a special duty to our brothers and sisters in Christ, the household of faith, that he mentions there. We can have opportunities today for others in our neighborhoods, on the internet, there are lots of organizations that we can get involved with, charitable organizations, uh, things we can do outside. But he also says, especially to those who are within the household of faith. What's he mean by that? Who are the household of faith? Well, turn over to Matthew chapter 12, and let's read what the Lord says about that. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. And then one said to him, Look, 
your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my brother and who are my, I mean, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, the household of faith is really our true family. When you look at it the way the Lord did, yeah, we have our physical families, obviously, our blood relatives, and we should love them and take care of them and do for them. But God, Christ is saying, here's my family. Here's my brothers and sisters and mothers. Turn to chapter 25. Very good point. Yeah, Louise was saying the Good Samaritan was in response to the question, who is my neighbor? And that's true. And that's what the Lord, when he went into the parable at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right, right. And, and, and it makes the point that my neighbor is someone who is in need. And I may come upon someone any time, any day. Yeah, absolutely. Matthew 25. And let's read. Beginning of verse, um, let's read verse 30, 31. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? King will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these of my brethren, you did it to me. We are to be good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, who really are our true family. We become children of God when we turn our lives over to God. We're baptized into Christ, right? We're part of the church. We're part of the family of God. We have opportunities that are determined by circumstance and ability to give, and we can do that weekly as we're taught. Not going to have time to get to the verses, we're about out of time. But we are taught as those, as Paul told them, to set aside an amount weekly, first day of the week, that they might help them when they came. Certainly there's more to doing good than just meeting physical needs. The needs of the Spirit have to be met, which is when the gospel of Christ excels, and it's the primary work of the church. Yet Christians who are naturally blessed or materially blessed can become forgetful, right? Especially when our lives, when we live in a, in a, in a place or a nation with such material abundance. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy to charge those who are rich, as we just read, to be rich in good works. So, nothing else for this lesson. And I, I this congregation is great. I, I'm not trying to 
step on anybody's toes and say, you need to give more. I mean, that's between you and God. And this, uh, this congregation is great about helping financially and helping physically. But that's what Paul is reiterating here. We are to bear each other's burdens through what we can do for each other. All right, thanks for being here. Time's